Major Nathan Johnson is completing a PhD at Arizona State University in the United States. He's a 2018 John Monash Foundation Scholar. Nathan is a military officer who has spent time in the Special Operations Command in Afghanistan. He also led multi-nation forces in South Sudan and provided technical support to the Australian Defence Forces Counter-Terrorism Unit in Sydney. His area of study is in the use of social media, cyber and electronic warfare. Major Nathan Johnson, welcome to The Scholars. Hello. Hello, Justin. Thank you for having me. How's life in the United States? Uh, uh, that is an, that's an excellent question. Um, I've been here now for three and a half years, and during that time we've had uh, a pandemic, uh, a change of president, um, and where I am in my little <laughs> pocket of Florida, two hurricanes. So uh, it's been very interesting, uh, but thoroughly enjoyed it, absolutely. And how far through your PhD studies are you? So as we speak, uh, I'm, I've now completed full three years worth of, uh, of study. So that's like six semesters. Um, and I'm planning mm-hmm. to graduate uh, in, the, in my seventh semester, planning. which will be in about another six months. Yeah, okay. And so uh, did you have to study um, on campus or has it all been remote or a combination of the two? Uh, that's, uh, that's a good point. So um, the university's actually been really innovative in the way that they've used, um, obviously, like, you know, Zoom calls and all the kind of uh, video conferencing things. But uh, yeah. but part of it, they still have a, a, a core part of a, of their PhDs um, program. So obviously, all the different departments have their own structure. But my one in my so my degree is actually in uh, computer engineering uh, is the actual yes. uh, is the actual department that it comes from. Uh, and they, that's kind of a, a hybrid between electrical engineering and computer science. So it has elements of both. So they have a requirement to do core subjects in both of those fields. Um, and they were, and they were completed on campus back in, uh, 2018. Um, but a mm. lot of the, since then I've, I've done other classes like artificial intelligence and machine learning and stuff like that. And they've all been online. Um, and I actually really enjoy it, to be honest with you. I think uh, the platform Zoom and all this kind of stuff makes it really uh, engaging. Like, you know, I never, uh, I never have to yell or can't be heard by the lecturer when I ask a question. <laughs> um, so, you know, all, I think it's uh, I think a virtual it's really hand up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. You know, and uh, I don't know if you've how long it's been since you've been in university in big auditoriums with uh, when you can hardly hear what the lecturer is saying. But you know, now it's four yeah. uh, K loud and clear, and I can and they're recording. And I can do them, you know. I can if I don't get a chance to be at the yeah, lecture. Good. It's been wonderful. So uh, love it. Yeah, I think the modern modern technology has made learning, especially in academia and, and modern universities, a lot more accessible. So for the moment, are you a full time student? This is this is your job. That is that is correct. So um, as you mentioned, um, I was fortunate enough to be awarded a, a General Sir John Monash Foundation scholarship, which uh, and absolutely can't say enough about the organisation. Um, but also at the time I applied for the what's called the Chief of the Australian Army Scholarship. Um, and what that okay. did, I was awarded that. And what they did was give me a position in time. So um, it gave me a posting into a long-term schooling position, which meant that I didn't have yep. to go and do my army job. All I had to do was go and do my actual scholarship and, and do, sorry, do my actual study and do my research. Yes. 
and hopefully pass, right? Yeah, exactly right. So <laughs> I think, yeah, there wasn't a lot of uh, conditions on it, but it said, yeah, at the end of it, I will have a PhD. So so how did you end up in the United States? Ah, um, so my, actually, uh, it's, it's a bit of a convoluted story, so bear with me, but uh, my me. wife we've actually... Got, we've got time. Oh, good, good, good. No, my, my wife um, is, is in the Air Force, and she actually was um, selected to be part of the um, the JSF, the Joint Strike Fighter F thirty five program, um, and they have a uh, they have a reprogramming lab. So this is a part the the, the part of the uh, sounds the like unit. Top Gun. Yeah, well, it's actually not that. It's not as sexy, but it's pretty close. It's actually <laughs> the um, element that reprograms the brain in the fighter. Um, and she's an electrical engineer in the Air Force, and she was uh, selected to come and help with that program. So we were we were going, we were posted already for four years to mm. the United States. Um, and I was uh, I would have had to leave leave my job in the army, um, and I would have okay. had to kind of take yeah. a, take leave or or you know kind of um, take an extended kind of uh, leave without pay or something. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, but yeah, so I started to look around for options. I spoke to my bosses, and they kind of said, hey, "Have you thought about studying?" and one thing led to another, and then I, I find I found um, you know the John Lonash Foundation. I found the Australian um, the Chief of Army Scholarship, and, and that all kind of came together in a very fortuitous manner. And I found myself over here studying. And um, why Arizona? What was it that um, was interesting about that particular university? Uh, as you were, as you may know, when you start your uh, start study, or especially a PhD. Um, your end state is never what you actually anticipate, so it's a little bit amorphous uh, at the at the start. And uh, but but I was always drawn to Arizona because there's a couple of things. Um, they're part of what's known the as the Alliance Plus Network. So um, uh, it's essentially Arizona State University, University of New South Wales, and King's College in the UK all have a, mm-hmm. an essentially agreement to share information, and and you can kind of move freely between those two. So I was working. So I had uh, I had a, a supervisor already at University of New South Wales. So uh, they suggested yeah. having a look at Arizona State, but also Arizona State's got wonderful connections in, especially in the engineering department, to things like NASA. Um, the Mars Exploration Program, as well as right. DARPA. Okay. So, yeah. you know, the defense kind of research stuff. So um, I was very interested in all those kind of funky areas. And, yeah, you know, after after a couple of years, I kind of my, my, my thesis and uh, my focus, my study evolved. And, um, yeah, I started working with the engineering and the computer engineering department in this kind of social media aspect. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so, so it was kind of like interested in military and academia. And, and it, was, mm. uh, it was a natural choice. It's a good mix. So tell us specifically about what it is uh, you're logging into into your uh, into your PhD. So yeah, um, so my PhD specifically is, uh, in general terms, it's basically looking at building a whole set of tools, like you know, um, digital tools, software tools, to help us analyze and understand social media. ways to kind of understand how influence is transferred and using things like uh, graph theories and developing um, databases and artificial intelligences that can help us really do this the analysis of what's happening in the background and and how that's affecting the population and, and our and our um, and our experience on the internet so how did you get um, how did you get interested in that Nathan so yeah how how did I get into this well I've always been in electronic warfare so um, you know that's and that's traditionally from back in World War one uh, has been breaking the enemy's communications from when we had kind of wireless, uh, wired communes 
between um, mm-hmm. trenches and stuff like that on the battlefield. And that went to like kind of wireless communications, to satellite, to um, to internet. Now, you know, this is this, this final evolution of what human interaction is uh, being social media. So, um, you know, it's very important, I think, for myself to be uh, and for the military and for Australia to be really on the forefront of that and understand what's happening, understand the mechanisms um, stuff. So I've always been kind of fascinated with that, uh, that the, the, the nature of communications and how we can use it. So, yeah, so this is essentially what I think is the most cutting edge, the most uh, up-to-date stuff. Do you think that um, social media is and can be used in almost a, a weaponized form by um, political leaders, for example? <laughs> uh, topical, of course, <laughs> of course. I mean, we're we're seeing it being manipulated. That's that's the reality. It is being used um, to have an effect. Um, and the interesting thing is that uh, social media is. It, it actually it actually operates in the cognitive space. It you know it affects you the way you think, the way you behave. Um, so yes, definitely you have got this ability to well you know again as I mentioned earlier about asymmetric effect. One individual can reach out into the hearts and minds of a population um, and have this influential effect. So um, it really is. Um, it is a powerful tool. So yeah, and definitely if you've got the, the the means and the resources to be able to manipulate it and and you know shape it to your benefit, um, it is being done with excellent examples from um, the cartels, how the cartels use it in Mexico to essentially repress the population, how we've seen it being used in, you know, obviously to um, in in elections in the 2020 elections and so forth but but I think that that is just uh, that's an evolution you know, we've, it's social media is still a form of communications and it is still yeah. like um, it is no different in terms of getting a message across as newspapers and um, television and radio has always been used in a political sense to you know to influence your your vote or get your vote or get you to do something but i think now it's far more powerful and insidious in terms of how much time we spend on it and all those different things like the actual the vectors of which they can get at you it's in the advertising it's in the the nature of which apps are developed in order to kind of really really monopolize your time and really force an issue um to each and every individual do you think it's possible to quantify, Nathan, you hear the term uh, fake news, uh, you jump on Facebook, for example, and you see something and then all of a sudden it's, it spreads like wildfire, but it's, it, it's all just been made up. Do, is there any way to try to figure out how much fake stuff is out there and online <laughs> and being spread? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know to figure out how much fake stuff is out there. Oh gosh, it's there is there is a lot, obviously, and there are, I suppose, individual industries popping up that are actually that's their job is to write fake stuff. But how how much different is that to say um, fictitious articles that have been written for papers and news and uh, magazines in the past? But in terms of um, quantifying it, and I think there's a lot of smart people working on this issue specifically fake news and and really you know um minimalizing its effect or mitigating its effect on social media so you know obviously Mm -hmm. things like facebook introducing verified accounts or you know uh, i know that twitter had uh 
a few bylines on things in the elections about that this is not, uh, you know, especially when it comes to things like COVID as well, about, well, actually, no, this yeah. is not this is not real and we believe in the vaccine. And, you know, um, so there's all those kind of things. So I think the technology will, um, as as new and because we, we really don't know where this where the end state of this is, you know, we don't know no, how, how no. this can be used. And anyone um, can say anything. Correct, correct. So you're, you're, you're your own publisher. You just jump on and say, hey, I've heard this, and you could just be, you know, having a moment. Yeah, but that's that's no different than what you would have had in the past uh, around the water cooler, right? You know, uh, everybody talking about what they did on the weekend. Well, I think this, and that's everybody's absolutely entitled to their opinion. But uh, like you yeah. say, it is that um, sensational news goes further than um, boring news. And unfortunately, the uh, the truth is never as sexy as somebody's uh, may, may make it out to be, right? So um, there is always that salacious nature will, will, will progress faster than the boring truth, I think. And, you know, um, but I do think as we understand it more, as again, as we build tools to analyze it and so forth, we're able to minimize that effect as we go forward. And, and even just simple things like... Um, educating the general population about it that not everything you read is true and i think that's mm. like i mean that's that's been a saying since uh you know um for for a long time ever since newspapers were around you don't you don't believe everything you read and i think that's just the natural evolution of of where social media is you can't take uh what's published on there for as absolute truth but but in saying that like you, you know presumably at a newspaper you've got a <laughs> whole lot of um, um, checks and balances. You've got the sub-editor, you've got the editor, you've got the owners. Absolutely. Um, with, with, with social media, it can be perceived as an absolute free-for-all where anyone with an account can jump on and, and just begin, right, with, oh, with no absolutely. checks. Absolutely, but I think that's where things like credibility starts to really become important. Um, you know, the mm. more valued your... Uh, you know, and I, it's funny. I, I I just did some qualitative research on this exact topic about asking um, leaders in the Australian government as well as the U.S. government about well, what what does you know do you believe or is social media in general trustworthy? And a, a lot of the answers were quite interesting about how well you you, you can't just take on that person on their word. You have to do some research about that person, like you would. Mm. Any publication, um, you know, is this? Oh, I'm trying to think of the name, uh, the Batut Advocate, and all that kind of stuff. The the Onion, the Tudor Advocate, yeah, yeah, you know, all those things. You don't you don't take them on face value, right? And that's exactly what we're doing, and what we're seeing more of as we go forward with social media is that, yeah, you you do your research about the source itself. Is this person a you know? Do they know a lot about vaccinations? Do they know a lot about how flat the Earth that's is? That's right. Um, you know, so so you have to kind of uh, ask yourself, well, who is this person? And saying it to, and I think we're getting as we, again in the early days of social media. Sure, we took a lot of these things, and somebody could publish everything. But now we're just being a lot more, I think, and especially like the next generation, because um, it's a big part of it. Is I, I believe that you know we are our generation, or you know generation the millennials are fitting um, social media into our life, into our our concept of the of our life. But the next generation mm. will are born with it. They know it. They this is life. And it's far more ingrained, and the concepts of you know antitrust is is far higher than it was in, you know, in the in the older generations. Well, we could talk about this for hours. Um, <laughs> so the so you're, you're you're hopefully going to finish your PhD uh, the back end of the year, all things being equal. What um, 
Nathan, what happens then? Is there a plan after after that to like to head home, stay overseas, move move elsewhere? What's what's the plan? Yeah, I have to I have to quote the uh, my CEO of the um, General Sir John Monash Foundation, Gillian Seagull, who says you have to come back. So definitely, yes, come back to Australia. Bring bring the uh, you know go out, get educated, but also come back to Australia. Um, come back, and I hope I hope that uh, sure, I'm happy to kind of. I'll stay within the uh, army system and the military system, but definitely yeah. Yeah. looking to be employed and, and looking for positions that will actually utilize the skill set that I've uh, just you know spent four years uh, obtaining and, and actually having some impact. And, and I suppose going, most importantly, going where it's needed. And if that is into the whole of government, back into technical advisors to our senior decision makers, or if it's into the army procurement system. So, uh, um, you know, it's a very important thing is kind of getting into what's happening with the next generation of Army and, and, and the ADF. So, uh, yeah, so there's lots of opportunities, um, but definitely back in Australia mm. and, and hopefully being a, a leader in this space for Australia. And where's um, where's where will home be for you back back in Australia? Uh, well, where, did, where did you grow up? Uh, so I, I I grew up in Melbourne. Um, so in the in mm-hmm. the Mitcham in the Mitcham area, went to Malorna College uh, in Mitcham. Um, and I've still got a lot of friends and family there, but uh, the the nature of where my career is and where my, my wife's career is, uh, all roads lead to Canberra. So uh, we and we really yeah. enjoy Canberra. We've uh, we've been in Canberra for quite a lot of our career. You know, we always we went through the Australian Defence Force Academy um, yes. and RMC yep. and stuff like that. So we have very fond memories of uh, of Canberra. So we did a lot of growing up in Canberra as well. So uh, looking forward to coming back and uh, spending some time in our nation's so capital. So cold. Canberra's crazy. <laughs> oh my crazy. goodness. Uh, yeah. Well, that's going to be very different <laughs> from where I am here in uh, in Florida. From, from Florida. It was uh, wow. it was it was thirty five degrees and ninety five percent humidity today. So I don't know how I can go back to uh, to mornings when the uh, where the the frost makes the grass crunchy. That's uh, that's a little bit unappealing mm. right now. <laughs> well, or driving with your head out the window because there's ice everywhere and you can't get it off <laughs> yeah, the windscreen. Yeah, windscreen wipers don't work. So when Nathan, when did you join the army? Give us give us um, oh. a flavour of um, how all that began and why it began. Ah, right. Okay. Well, well, the why is pretty simple. I, I followed my brother's footsteps. Um, my okay. brother is seven years older than me, and uh, he actually went off to ADFA as well. Um, and he came yeah. back. I just I have these vivid memories of him on the first time he came back, about six months into his training at ADFA, um, came back to visit, obviously. And, uh, you know, he'd just grown up and he was uh, – you know, uh, responsible. He was, he was responsible. He was physically fit. He uh, was doing his you know, university and uh, said things like, you know, combined arms operations and cool stuff like that. And uh, I was like, wow, this uh, this sounds fantastic. So I start, I actually, after that, I asked my parents if I could start uh, schoolboy cadets so at the, the local high school. Um, so I did, uh, so I started cadets and it was kind of ordained. I, and I went into the army after that. So, so I joined, uh, all the way back in 2001 and, um, yeah, so yeah, did, okay. did the standard kind of profile, I suppose, um, which is, so in the army you do kind of leadership. Was that, was that, was that straight out, was that straight out of school or? Exactly. Yeah. So ADFER yeah. is a combination of Australian Defence Force Academy is a combination of both your military training as well as your university mm. degree. So yeah, you, do, okay. you do them yeah. concurrently and then I do then then the army guys go and do a year at the Royal Military College Duntrue. Um mm-hmm. and then after that you go into your cause and so forth and uh, I did um 
uh, and everybody at, out of the Royal Military College does uh, leadership positions. So you know, you take command of a of a platoon and and then a unit, or, or sorry, a squadron and then a unit, um, and then after that you can kind of spear off. And I I kind of came into that capability development and um, uh, project management side where where you're looking to buy new equipment and um, you know looking to equip the army after next so the future army so it's a really interesting place between not only have to be kind of technically savvy but also a bit creative in trying to think about what the the next requirement is going to be and what the next kind of yeah. military conflict is going to be so uh yeah really <laughs> i don't dynamic. know if anyone has the right i don't know if anyone ever has the right answer on that do they no no so yeah you can't get it wrong but it's uh but it's a lot of hard work and you have to play with the um with the whole of government so you get some wonderful uh opportunities to work with your counterparts at uh prime minister and cabinet and across the road at um mm-hmm. department of foreign affairs and trade yeah so it's a really uh really interesting thing and so and it was actually it was actually there where i was i was asking questions technical questions about electronic warfare equipment and things like that that uh i wasn't getting really good answers and that was where that's kind of where the whole idea to go and study further uh came from because i was like well if there are no experts in this space then i probably should go and become one myself Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very good. I, I mentioned in the opener that you've you've spent time, obviously, uh, overseas uh, working for the Army. Um, yep. Tell us about some of those experiences. So, yeah, so uh, deployed to on a number of different um, multi-nation operations, so to, uh, to East Timor um, as well as Afghanistan mm-hmm. and uh, South Sudan. So... All in uh, in kind of leadership roles there, uh, taking you know commanding troops and uh, in the in the intent to achieve operational effects. So in support of um, in support of infantry battalions who were doing operations in the area. So I worked with my signals and my electronic warfare teams to achieve outcomes for them and to provide. And that's essentially um, provide uh, support and and safety. You know, be able to indications yeah. and warnings to make sure that they're not going to be attacked or surprised by any of the enemy any um that that you can mention any any hairy moments where uh you you had some close calls it, it's a, it's funny the uh the the most scared i've ever been uh was on two operations and they weren't in the war zone so it was in peacekeeping operations right. in in east timor and once in yep. uh, south sudan on a peacekeeping operation where were the most hairy, but neither of them were in uh, in the war zones, funnily enough, because I, th- I think that was the most thing where I think when you're in a war zone, you expect to be, you know, you wear your body armor and you have your, and you carry your weapons and you're under very, very strict guidelines. But when you're in peacekeeping operations, you can, uh, it's a little bit, the rules of engagement and the, um, the safety precautions you take are a little bit more relaxed, yes. um, and and that's normally when you get yourself into trouble. So uh, so I won't go into detail, but yeah, there were in East yeah, Timor yeah. and uh, in, in South Sudan, I had some fairly hairy moments, but uh, but all good, and they all ended very well, thankfully. Do you think many young people um, you, you, you're going to know um, are, are actively considering careers in the defence force? Uh, I hope so. Um, I, I know I see a lot of advertising for them, um, but I, I generally mm. hope so. I think that I, th- um, again, I'm not, I'm not a young person anymore, but I still think the, still think the image and the um, perception of military service is, um, is high. I think, uh, I mean, I love, 
Anzac Day, uh, it's, I don't, it's, it's a big topic, but it's it is short. Yeah. Um, Anzac Day is always a, a day for me that shows me how much I appreciate being Australian and how much I, it gives me a sense of how much Australia appreciates our military. Um, so that's, uh, so I feel, so I still think that there are, yeah, um, you know, uh, smart, um, smart, ambitious and talented uh, young Australians who want a, want a really fulfilling career in the military, definitely. Well, you know, I, I look at um, I look at a lot of young people, and um, I would I would see that as a as a wonderful career. Um, with uh, I'm I'm in fierce agreement with you there. Joining <laughs> the, joining the uh, the defence force because um, you can, you can study, you can do just about anything, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, and the thing I would say about it all is that yes, whilst you are uh, say like myself a signals officer, or you're give me a pilot, or you're a uh, you know you're in the infantry. Whatever you're doing, and and out of all the three services, um, in the military, no day is the same. Every day mm. you get up, something else could change, and you're doing a different thing. And I look, I think about the guys who are doing helping out the um, COVID task force. You know, um, they didn't expect that they would be, you know, uh, dealing with a, <laughs> a global right. pandemic. Um, so, yeah. and 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 the and the great thing about a military career is that it instills in with you all these skill sets that you never know that you never knew could come in handy um mm. and you, and you know the leadership the uh the all the different bits and pieces pieces that they kind of give you they build up in you and then yeah you find yourself having to deal with a global pandemic and yet you've got your your you become this robust individual who can handle all that, and uh, so yeah. So I, I, I generally hope that uh, that uh, people, young people, still think that, that it's uh, it's a good career because I've had an absolute ball, um, and I loved every day of my service. So yeah, fantastic. Well, um, Nathan, we've got our fingers crossed for you that um, at the end of the year you can thank you uh, so get much those um, PhD letters after your name, and um, we look forward to seeing you back. Uh, in Australia sometime after that. There he is, Major Nathan Johnson, joining us uh, from Arizona. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me and have a great day.